Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Football won't be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for your sports betting needs. Head over to the website and use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to Olympic coverage, it's the best in the business. From sports, right down to your your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to Eagles Unfiltered. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! This podcast is powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Third down and one. Hurts, keeping, first down, and a touchdown. Here are your hosts. Ed Kraz and Connor Miles. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Unfiltered, powered by betonline.ag. It's March Madness right now, so head on over to betonline.ag. Use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get 50% up matching on your initial bonus by betonline.ag. That's 50% they will match up to on your initial deposit. That's betonline.ag, promo code BELIEVE, and go ahead and take part of the March Madness today. Co-host Connor Miles here. I'm very honored and delighted to welcome our new co-host of the show, former Eagles safety, Rashard Cook, 1999 six-round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles, carved out a beautiful, illustrious career on special teams, even the defensive backfield. Rashard, thank you so much for not even just you know coming on the show and reliving your career with us real quick. Let the audience get familiar with you again and talk about the great times with Jim Johnson, the Veterans Stadium, and being with Brian Dawkins in that defensive back room with Bobby Taylor, Troy Vincent, Lido, Sheldon, all those guys. Uh, but not only that, but you get to analyze the team and speak on the podcast about that. Now, you know, you know defensive back play better than anyone. You coach the position well now in high school. You've been in that in the trenches at college as well, the coaching level. So uh, I'm so excited for you to come on this show and get analyze the Eagles defensive back play because I think that's an area where we struggle uh, analyzing that play understanding what the concepts of the safety and the corners are supposed to do and uh, really analyzing their play and uh, giving an unbiased opinion of that. So, Rashard, welcome to the show. You are a new co-host of Eagles on Filter, man. We're great to have you. Thanks. I appreciate uh, you guys reaching out and asking me to do this. So it's something that I've, uh, of course, I always believe in, in giving back and and giving my opinion on defensive back play. It's super important to me. I mean, I play with a gr- great group of guys and great coaches. Uh, all the way from high school to college to the NFL, I feel like I've been surrounded by, you know, some of the best to ever do it. So 
Uh, I do feel I have a pretty good insight on that and I can hopefully bring some value and some inside information on, you know, some things that's going right and some things that are going wrong. So let's take it back to your first start with the Eagles. You're in 1999, sixth round pick. You're part of the Donovan Nab class that brought the Eagles their franchise quarterback. But not only that, you're Andy Reid's first draft class. You were part of Andy Reid's first draft class in Philadelphia. What was that like getting that call, you know, that night, you know, your sixth round pick, you're in, you're, you're waiting to be drafted, but what was it like getting that call? You'd saying, Hey, you're going to be a Philadelphia Eagle. Well, it's uh, I'm going to have to do a quick correction here. So remember I was originally drafted by the bears. Oh, so okay. originally drafted by the bears. Right. So mm-hmm. I was sixth round pick there uh, leading up to the draft. It's one of those things. I, I, it's a tough time for a lot of guys, you know, um everybody's not going to be a first round draft pick everyone's not going to be a second round draft pick you know you put forward your best best effort at the combine pro days interviews anything you can to get as high as you can uh to give yourself the best chance of sticking around in the league so uh, i was drafted to chicago we drafted uh that year i think there was like 13 or 14 guys drafted it was a big draft class for uh the bears and you know, unfortunately, they couldn't keep everybody. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. So they released me on the final cut down. That's it's incredible. like, I think the cut cut time is 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern. I mean, I got a call at 3.59 and 59 seconds, you know, saying, hey, man, we're going to release you, but we're going to sign you back to the to the roster pretty soon. So um, I got released, and then the phone started ringing. My agent calls me and says, hey, there's been – five or six teams that put in a claim for you. So at that point, he says, it looks like you're not headed back to Chicago. I don't know where. It could be Jacksonville, could be Cleveland. Uh, I think it was Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, of course, all East Coast teams. I'm a Southern California guy uh, and all East Coast teams. And then finally, I got the phone call. He just said, go to the airport. I'll tell you where you're going. Finally calls me back and says, you're going to Philly. And I had no idea who was in Philadelphia at that point. Uh, Andy Reid was a brand new coach. I knew they drafted Donovan and they booed him on the draft. So yeah. I didn't know what the temperature was in Philly at that point. But, um, you know, I got there, you know, touchdown. They had expectations for me. I had expectations for myself of, you know what, I'll, I'll never get cut again from a team. Uh, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And one of the things that I learned is special teams is very important. Um, so that's kind of a, the backstory, how I ended up in Philly and, and how I ended up, you know, you know, contributing more on special teams. Uh, and we had a nice run. We had great coaches that, you know, emphasize helping the team any way you can. So uh, those are good times. What about, you know, you were coached by not only John Harbaugh, who on special teams had a huge pivotal role in your special teams career, being a special teams ace for the Eagles, but uh, Jim Johnson, though, you know, the defensive coordinator that Philadelphia misses, man. Like, we talk about him still to this day, the legend that he is. Uh, you were blessed with that opportunity to have him as a defensive coordinator for your career with Philadelphia. What was that like having him as a defensive coordinator? And why don't they make him like Jim Johnson nowadays? You know what? Because Jim was an out of the box thinker, Jim was an aggressive defensive coordinator that didn't let the offense dictate what we're going to do on defense. Um, he wanted you to kind of play with your left hand behind your, or, or your dominant hand behind your back, right? If we're out playing basketball, you're a right-handed guy. He want to make you go left. If you're a quarterback who likes to sit in the pocket, he's going to bring pressure. 
If you like to run the ball, he's going to bring more guys, put more in the box. So Jim said, if they're going to beat us, they're going to beat us in a way that they they don't like to play. He wanted to dictate that. Also, the other thing that I, that I love about Jim is he let guys do what they do best. Um, I mean, before he got there, I don't think many people, you know, saw Brian Dawkins as one of the most versatile safeties in the NFL. But when Jim got there and Jim looked and designed a defense and said, this is what I'm looking for and this is what he's good at. I mean, there was times that he would he would kind of draw up some stuff and says, well, can you get to this? Can you get to your cover two drop if you're showing a blitz off the edge? And Brian would say, yeah, I can do that. So great, let's disguise that and let's do it differently. So I think, Jim, if you look at all the guys that played for Jim from that 99 uh, till, till he you know ultimately retired, he put them all in really good situations, right? So the draft, they drafted accordingly when he needed things. Hey, I like to, you know, bring in extra corners. So what do we do? We went and drafted extra corners. Lito Shepard, uh, Sheldon Brown, you know, uh, bringing in Mike Lewis, another safety. I mean, he did what he needed to do for his defense to work. And it was all about bringing pressure, uh, not letting the offense dictate what we're going to do. And, I mean, when you go back and you look at the numbers, I mean, we're giving up. 12 13 points a game at a time where the offenses were really starting to take off where guys are passing you know for 4000 yards and 50 touchdowns and the defense kept us in every single game i mean there was never a time where i felt like we were unprepared overmatched um outcoached from a defensive standpoint so that's what jim brings it was every day he was a little bit older guy on the staff kind of been around uh, was with the Colts, with the Cardinals, just had a history of just saying he was just going to be aggressive. So I, I enjoyed playing playing um, in a secondary for him, playing multiple positions. I played the nickel, played some linebacker, safety, you know, anything you can just to get on the field because I knew there's a chance that I, I might blitz off the edge, but then I'm dropping back in cover two and get an interception, you know, or coming down in a box to stop the run. So it was good. John Harbaugh, too. I mean, you were very close with him as well. Uh, you know, his time in Philly was really behind the shadows of Andy Reid's success. Mm -hmm. We didn't really realize what we had in a coach then when John Harbaugh was in Philadelphia. I mean, he went for special teams coach, defensive backs coach, as you're aware of. Uh, now, with his success in Baltimore, does that surprise you at all that he ended up becoming the coach he is today? No, not at all. Not at all. John Harbaugh, so what people have to realize when you have a special teams coach, that's one of the only coaches that deals with every single player on the roster. Right. So the offense alignment, the offense alignment, they're doing field goal protection, defense alignment. They're doing punt return. They're doing field goal block. They're doing something every single person. So we started off every single uh, day with a special teams meeting. So you're not just coaching the kickers, the long snappers and the punters. You coach the whole roster. And John Harbaugh had a way of getting everybody to rally around what he's doing. The special teams period in Philadelphia during that time was not uh, a walkthrough. It wasn't, you know, a time for the starters to rest. I mean, we had starters that are out there on special teams. He went to Coach Reed. He went to, you know, Jim Johnson and says, hey, I need this guy. And they said, take him. And that's why we were so dominant on special teams. You know, guys like Ike Reese probably would have started at plenty other uh, organizations. But, you know, um, you know, we needed them for special teams. I felt like myself, I could be a starter at a lot of other organizations, but, you know, get an opportunity to kind of mix in with different packages on defense. 
and then running out and playing, you know, 15 to 20 snaps on special teams each game uh, was still a big part of what we were trying to do is, is win football games in, in every phase, offense, defense, and special teams. So you got to be privy to the growth and maturation of Brian Dawkins, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles legend, one of the best players of all time in franchise history. Like you just mentioned, prior to Jim Johnson getting there, Dawkins probably didn't really hit his peak or hit his what his potential, his full ceiling was until Jim Johnson arrived. What was that like watching Brian Dawkins become the player that he ended up becoming as a Hall of Fame caliber player? And what was it like being his teammate? I think, first of all, being a teammate uh, was something that was unique, right? You see this big, big, muscular, strong guy who always has tons of energy and passion for the game. Um, that right there alone just gets you excited of, of joining him, right? So we were just embarking on something new as far as learning the playbook. That was their first year there. So we kind of learned together. So being a strong safety and a free safety and playing nickel in multiple positions, Jim Johnson, what we have, we, we, we had, uh, what was it called? It? The signal caller meeting. So signal, call, signal caller meetings is the first time you meet. So Tim Houck, Jeremiah Trotter, the inside linebackers, strong safety, those are he calls the captains of the defense. So what we would go and we'll do every Monday is we go in and we get kind of the scoop on what we're going to run for the week. So it was my responsibility to actually go and then talk to the other position players, the corners, the other safeties, the, the free safeties, the other linebackers to say, hey, this week when they come out in trips, we're going to check to X. When they come out in two back sets, we're going to check to this, our adjustments, you know, whatever it is. So Jim would, would coach us up. So it was kind of funny. So I kind of felt like I'm coaching up, you know, Dawkins as far as the things that we're doing for the week. And, and then you see it during practice and you see it being rehearsed and then all of a sudden the lights come on and a game is on it's sunday and to see it in real time i thought it was i had a great view of a lot of that um so it was great it was honestly great to watch i mean he went from a guy like you said that wasn't a perennial pro bowler to now legendary changing the position i mean during that time he was a second round draft pick if you're redrafting now, he's probably a top 10 pick. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the way the game has changed where you can use guys like him and Troy Palomalu and Ed Reed. And I mean, you name it, some of those guys that can get into the box, make some big tackles, big hits, they're blitzing off the edge. And now they're dropping back in coverage with good enough hands and spatial awareness to actually catch the ball too and return it for a touchdown. So, I mean, those type of dynamic players are hard to come by. And I think now as the time, you know, moves away from where we don't see guys like him out there, I think you're starting to see few more, you know, more guys and, and, and guys start trying to find the next, you know, Brian Dawkins, the next, you know, Troy Palomalu, Ed Reed, those type of guys. You were in that defensive backroom in Philadelphia. There was so much talent, but there was a lot of characters in there as well, a lot of leadership. I mean, Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, uh, Tim Hawk, Dawkins, Al Harris. I mean, and then they bring in these young guys. They bring in Michael Lewis. They bring in Lito Shepard. You bring in Shelter Brown, like you mentioned earlier. That's something that Jim Johnson wanted to establish. But uh, with all you know, the character, the leadership, and the the youth in that room, how would you describe that defensive backroom during that 2002-2003 era, like when it was all coming into its own? Well, the biggest thing is there's unity. There was a lot of unity. So 
I think at that point, uh, Troy Vincent was probably the, you know, the most established veteran guy. Um, he came over, you know, before I got there from a trade with Miami or I think it's where he came from a trade or, or a free agency. So he's kind of established himself as a veteran guy, which you see where he is today. It's no surprise. Leadership qualities uh, were through the roof. Uh, next, you have the Bobby Taylor veteran guy, second round draft pick, Notre Dame guy. Um, we left out Alan Rossum, you know, all those guys that were there during that period of time. These are all, you know, high level guys. I mean, these are high level character guys, leadership, and all they wanted to do was win. One of the things that we found was very important is we did a lot of stuff together. We did our DB dinners. You know, we go out every Friday night, grab a bite to eat. We respected each other. Uh, one of the things that we, we focused on was never pointing each other out. If there's a mistake that happens in the secondary, you should never see a guy out there pointing at his teammate. If I got beat, I'm not going to, you know, point at the corner and say, hey, that was your fault. You needed to reroute him or you should have dropped back. We took all those things and we said, hey, we're going to be a unit. We're going to be the best unit in football. And we can't display anything that shows different on the field, right? So you see the cameras. The cameras are out there all the time. And you see guys arguing on the sideline pointing, blaming the fingers or, you know, throwing the hands in the air. So we made sure we had none of that. You go back, you watch the film, you'll never see one of those guys pointing at the safety saying you should have help over the top. You'll never see the safety saying anything different, you know, uh, about their guys. So I think we believed in each other. We saw how we all worked during practice. We saw how we worked in a game. And yeah, we'll give up a touchdown, but you're going to have to earn it. And, and with the competitiveness competitiveness of the depth of that roster you couldn't take much time off you know what i mean you might lose your job oh, yeah so. oh absolutely there's so much talent there that's why i was asking that question because there was so much talent there there were starters riddled throughout that secondary with not that many starter snaps to go around that's why i was Correct. trying to figure out like how how you guys were so able to do that and it seems like you guys built that own culture within yourself to that defensive back room where you took over and uh what a great time during that Philadelphia era. We miss it. We miss it for sure because they haven't had a defensive back room like that in years, especially with considering the depth. Yeah. Um, you know, as you transition into this role analyzing the team, I know you have you're you're still diving into watching the film and get, readjusting yourself to the Eagles secondary, but um, this new Jonathan Gannon, new defensive quarter the Eagles have brought in, mm -hmm. they are, looks like they're still trying to figure it out. Uh, from the secondary wise, because again, they gave they had five games where the quarterback completed over 70% of his passes. I mean, there was just you're trying to see a lot, you see a lot of soft zone coverage, I think you would want to say. And I don't think we could really fully understand what he's trying to implement. I'm not sure if you got a chance to sit down and rewatch it yet, but uh, it's a huge difference between what Jim Schwartz would want to do with his corners, be aggressive with his corners, let his defensive line get after the quarterback. Um, more so where you play it relaxed you see what the you get let the offense take the easy stuff and try to take away the deep stuff is what it seems like john again would like to do um as a defensive back when you're watching this scheme do you do you think like this is this is the right calls like this guy's doing the right job well i'm probably going to be biased of being more aggressive uh yeah. being a longtime defensive guy and some of the guys that i came up you know even all the way through college you know dennis thurman a guy who's played in the nfl and still continues to coach his defense coordinator for uh, Jackson State right right now down there with Dion. 
the philosophy for us and guys that I've coached with and played with has always been being more aggressive, being more aggressive. So, and also everything takes time. So first you're in the system, maybe there's some changes going to implement. Maybe there's some personnel issues. You don't get a chance to really go in and evaluate the personnel and, and do a clean slate and change things out. Uh, or maybe there's kind of a, um, a learning issue of what, what do I actually have? Do I have a cover guy? Do I have a zone guy? Do I have a, you know, a aggressive man-to-man bump and run type guy? Do you have smaller corners, bigger corners? What type of play do you have at safety? Are these guys more in the box? Do you need more range? And then also the other part of the secondary play is the pass rush, right? So you could have the greatest secondary. You can assemble a Hall of Fame crew, but no one can cover all day. And these offenses are throwing the ball now more than ever. I mean, 50 touchdowns used to be something that you, you would never expect the guy to do. Now, you know, you're going to see 60. Eventually, you'll see 70 touchdowns. The rules are changing, right? So the rules are changing. You can't touch a guy. You can't do certain things. Uh, pass interference calls are, are called uh, a little bit tighter. It's a lot of stuff that you can and cannot do that I think with a newer guy, newer staff, and trying to figure out what you have defensively, I think there's going to be some growing pains. And, uh, and of course, yeah, most defensive coordinators don't want to just line up and just give up, you know, the deep ball every single play. You like to rally up, make them drive the length of the field, because what ends up happening is the, the odds work in your favor. Maybe there's a false start penalty. Maybe there's a holding penalty, and they get behind the sticks at that point. But on certain downs, third downs, third down is short, third down and medium, third down and long, where it's time to get off the field, I think those are the important downs. First down, if you're giving up too much on the run and you're giving them shorter pass routes to complete, you're going to run into some issues. But, um, you know, I have to dive in a little bit more to kind of see philosophy, what they're doing personnel-wise. But, you know, that's usually where you start is what is the kind of the de- demeanor of the, uh, of the defense coordinator? Is he aggressive? Is he kind of a zone guy? Is he a man guy? Is he going to bring a lot of pressure? So offenses know what type of guy they're dealing with, and they know how to pick those guys apart. So it's a chess match. BetterHelp is a custom to online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Eagles Unfiltered listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Eagles. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Eagles, E-A-G-L-E-S. Take the time out, get your mental health in the right state of mind, and go to BetterHelp.com and get 10% off your first month by just listening to this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash eagles what's more important than a peace of mind nothing and that's what nordvpn is here for to give you a peace of mind while you are online and with all of the threats that you face today on the internet it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best vpn you can get nordvpn is is the world's best vpn service offering the fastest connectivity most servers and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. 
and plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe. That's or use the code B-L-E-A-V. That's believe to get your 70% off your NordVPN plus and one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's NordVPN, promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get 70% off your first month plus an additional month free. NordVPN, have the peace of mind while you're online. I agree with you, though. I like to see a little bit more aggressive play, and that's something that the Eagles lacked on the defensive side of the football this past year. But again, like you reiterated, it was the first year of implementing his system. I mean, that's always going to be a huge change. Like, you were a part of that yourself when Jim Johnson was in Philadelphia implementing his system for the first time. There was a lot of change for that team, and that defensive talent had to go through the motions as well. Um, do you think what that was an easy transition for that defense, or you, it you took time not. as well? It was not. I remember my uh, first year. So that was his first year there. And I remember in a meeting, I told Steve Spagnola, I said, is there any reason why we have a playbook that's like this thick? And we're, you know, what are we going to use all this stuff for? Right. So this is my rookie year and I'm looking at it. And then as we go through the year, I'm like, what happened to the one blitz we put in during training camp? We never used it. And what they were doing is they were building on what we needed not just for this year but for next year and then so when you go in and and if you notice there was a lot of packages right so Mm -hmm. we put in a lot of different packages so a lot of times i would come in uh and play the backside corner when they would bring in a two tight end set so you have to kind of build these things up for when this opportunity comes to use you know certain defenses one of the things that was giving us a lot of problems um, during those first couple years was we were playing against the Giants. They would run a two tight end set, put two receivers over on the slot and run combination routes, right? So they'll max protect, fake the run, and then now they're getting two guys running down the seam and putting a lot of pressure on the secondary. So what Jim would do is, hey, we'll put in a coverage, a package when they come out with a two tight end set with the two receivers over to the side. We'll treat that differently. This is their number one concept. Let's take it away. So to kind of go back is he was putting in all these things, uh, you know, year one. And then year two, you start to say, okay, who's the guy that fits the personnel that goes in and plays the nickel, right? We found that when we went to play nickel, maybe it's more important to put Troy Vincent in to play nickel, put Al Harris outside to play the corner where Al Harris wasn't a starting corner at that point, but it was better, you know, Troy was a better blitzer, better tackler, more physical inside. So I think it just takes time to figure out what guys work best in what role. And then as you, you know, you, 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 you involve, you know, evolve with your defense, right? So maybe you throw a few things out, you know, maybe Jim looked and reevaluated it into the season and says, yeah, I'm going to throw a lot of this stuff out. You know, he talked to Spags, he talks to Leslie Frazier, Ron Rivera, but you look at that staff, I mean, across the board, the names that I just named, those are all future head coaches. But, you know, they learned from Jim. They learned from the way he he installed. He allowed them to coach. And uh, that was the good thing about it is he really allowed them to, to take what he was teaching, take it to your corners, take it to the linebacker, take it to the safeties. And then if there's a question, always roll it back up. You know, I, I if I had a question on something, I start with my – 
position coach was Steve Spagnuolo. Hey, Steve, why are we playing cover two like this? And he says, you know, I don't know. Let me check with Jim and see if we can change it. Does it make you more comfortable playing it, you know, 12 yards? If you can get the job done, let's do it. So a lot of times you don't have that flexibility in football. It was a true partnership as far as building out that defense and getting input from the players and then the coaches collaborating and, and then putting forward a, a good good product on the field. All right, let's focus on your career in Philadelphia. All right. We'll run out the episode. Being a six-round pick, now we're all informed you made the team by way of waivers. How were you able to stick with the Eagles for as long as you did? It is incredibly hard for a player, especially a backup in the NFL, especially in this business, to stick with a team for as long as you did and to have a pivotal role, not only just in the in the defensive back room, but on special teams as well. How are you able to personally carve out that role for yourself? Well, it's one of those things that you have to, if you want to stick around in NFL, you have to do something really well. Um I felt like I could play safety. Like I said, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time to try to be a free safety because we probably have one of the best guys to ever do it. So at that point, I have a choice to make. Am I a um, football player who's, you know, all I want to do is play safety or am I a football player who want to get on the field and help the team? So once I saw John Harbaugh's passion about special teams, I made sure that any single time that they had somebody come out we need somebody to run down right in the middle of the field to break up the wedge. I'll raise my hand and I'll do it. We need a guy on punt protection that can, you know, protect the punter and then go down and cover. All right, coach, I'll do it. We need a guy to, you know, anything you need, I would do. And that's what I recommend for most guys is if you're not a starter, you're not going to make the team as a position player. You're going to make the team as a special teams player. There's 53 players on an active roster, 45 suit up every game. 11 are going to start on offense, 11 are going to start on defense. The rest of those guys, you know, you do the math, that's 20, 23 other guys have to find a way to contribute. The third string quarterback doesn't play. The second string quarterback is not going to play. And, you know, in certain guys, offensive linemen, you know, you got to look at the numbers. So I looked at it. All right, they're going to keep nine DBs, right? So if I can play two positions, that makes me more valuable, right? So if they if they say I need another guy that can play nickel, I've never played nickel in my life, but I went and I did it. I learned it, and Jim started to trust me. So learning as much as you can at your actual position to give yourself the best chance to be next in line. But instead of just waiting on that opportunity, hoping someone get hurt or you know they don't play well, you got to go carve out an opportunity at special teams. And one of the things that people probably didn't see is there was a competition in special teams. I mean, we had a board that was up that Harbaugh created that it tracked your performance from tackles to key blocks if we score a touchdown to, I mean, you name it, all those things were recorded. And it was inside of our special teams room. And you look up at the board, and if your name is not up high, I mean, it was ranked every single week. My goal was to be the number one special teams player every single week. And then at the end of the year, to be a guy that says, you know what? we have to keep him around because our special teams play would drop off dramatically. You have Mike Bartram snapping. He's a long snapper. The guy was like automatic. You had David Akers kicking, Sean Landetta punting. So special teams was important. And you'll see, you know, when we have guys out there, Alan Rossum returning the ball, um, you have um, 
you know, we always had the good returners. So, so you want to make sure you're blocking for those guys. And then when, when David Akers is kicking off, you want to cover for him. David wasn't, you know, the regular kicker. He worked out. He wasn't some, you know, old sloppy guy who only comes out and hangs out on the sideline. He works out with us. He's running with us. He's lifting weights with us. So there was a big buy-in there, which, which I appreciate it. And hopefully guys, you know, uh, that came before me and after me appreciate that. Special teams is a third of the game. So if you're not winning in that phase, you're probably reducing your chance of winning the overall game. What was your fondest memory of being a Philadelphia Eagle? Um, you know, I don't think I have one particular memory. I just say a collection of memories. I mean, we made a great run, NFC Championship, you know, three, four straight times, playing in those type of games, those environments, going to, you know, I mean, going back to my rookie year where we're playing the um, St. Louis Rams in a meaningless game where, you know, they, they had their guys, their starters out for the first half. And we, it, you know, we finished up five and 11 that year. And then a couple years later playing them to go to the Super Bowl, it's kind of, you reflect back, you look and you say, man, that's a big transition uh, from five, 11 to 11 and five and 12 and four and, and competing to go to the Super Bowl every single year. I think just that collection to know that I was part of something special that, you know, it brought a lot of excitement to, to people during that time. And, you know, wherever you are, whatever your team is, you want to see them succeed. And, and that's the big thing is we felt, we felt accomplished. It was ultimately, yeah, did we reach our goal of winning a Super Bowl during that period of time? No. But I think guys walked out of that locker room after it was all said and done and said, you know what? We gave our all. We supported each other. Uh, no finger pointing. Let's come back next year and try it again. So that was a good thing. I mean um just that time just that whole time period and experience and being around great guys that you know went on to do good things like even from sean mcdermott who was a he was an intern during that time to see where he's you know now trying to lead his team to the super bowl it's just uh i thought it was an amazing time and a great opportunity that you know i'm, I'm, I'm super thankful for so when the, all the stars aligned for the eagles they got the terrell loans the javon curse that that all season where they're ready to run for the Super Bowl, they were finally getting ready to get over that hump. You do get injured. Yep. Take us back to the injury because you were supposed to be part of that magic that season. Correct. Like, what goes through your mind during that injury, and like, how does it happen, and where did you go from there? Yeah, it was one of those times. It was um, going back. Remember Damon Moore, which we drafted in the fourth round. They let him go in free agency. And then so the Eagles re-signed me. This is going to be my year. I'm headed into my fifth year. Uh, you know, I will be an undrafted free agent after that. And Jim Johnson started to, to uh, develop a lot of confidence in what I was doing from a leadership standpoint and then also on the field and running the defense. So um, just one of those freak injuries, one of those things that happened, kind of wear and tear over a period of time, just had some um, cartilage damage in the knee. So I'm running down on a kickoff that was against the Cowboys. So I'm running down on a kickoff and just kind of feel like a little twins, a little pinch, a little pain, nothing crazy. Uh, so I went in, had it cleaned out, but they're saying that, hey, there could be some more damage. Let's give it some time to, uh, to take a look and see what it is. So I kind of tried to make my way back and just wasn't happening. So ultimately end up having a, a microfracture procedure, which is almost like a it's a death sentence in the NFL at that point. You know, no guys are really coming back from it. Um, Dr. Stedman out there in uh, Denver, he's the uh, 
Denver team doctor, he's the one who performed the surgery, gave me, you know, 10% chance of returning. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was pretty optimistic. I was like, well, 10%, then there's a chance. So I rehabbed aggressively. You know, I kept in contact with those guys, try to make it back. They did sign me that next year in the preseason, um, you know, transitioning from vet stadium to, to the new Lincoln financial field was like an eye opening experience of going there, you know, leaving. I saw that being built. That's the other thing about that time is we were practicing over in that bubble, you know, during those days where, you know, the weather was bad. Uh, we practice over in that little bubble right there in that parking lot from in vet stadium. And, you know, and we see, you know, the stadium being torn down. We see the development of the new facility, the Novacare facility, the, you know, Lincoln financial field. And you feel like you're a part of the growth of that, that organization, that community, um, you know, bringing, you know, competitive football back to Philly at that point. So, yeah, it was a little disappointing to not be able to kind of continue to go through through the Super Bowl run. But, you know, you wish all those guys the best. You're still supporting them, uh, you know, and, and, and I whether I was going to receive a ring or not, I did not even care. I just wanted to see I know how hard those guys work. I know how hard the coaches coached, how they built that roster, uh, you know, with some of the young guys and some of the veteran guys. I felt like, you know, it was it was a good time. Came up short. You know what I mean? But it, ultimately, I thought it was a good experience. So we talked about it recently when we had this conversation, but I wanted to bring it for the podcast. You almost spoiled because the only reason why I brought this up, because I brought up one of the games I went to at Veterans Stadium, it was the 2002 game versus the Houston Texans, uh, David Carr's rookie year. Mm-hmm. I brought it up to you that, you know, Brian Dawkins had that punt return for a touchdown. And you said something interesting to me that I want the viewers to listen to, because I think that's a little big nugget that uh, I love everybody would like to hear. So let's go back to revisit that story. Uh, what yeah. happened when Brian Dawkins scored a touchdown? Who was actually supposed to do that? So that play was actually designed for me. Right. So we have Brian Mitchell. He's the college quarterback. So if you go back and you watch that play. Uh, I usually play on the right side of the punt protection, right? So I, I protect for the punter, and then I'll release, and I'm the outside contain guy. We noticed something in what the Texans would do from a defensive standpoint in defending the uh, the punt coverage team. So they would kind of let that guy go. So we had what we had happen. We practiced all week. I think we practiced it for two weeks. So I was the guy there the whole time. So what? the play was designed is the ball would be snapped to the up back, which is Brian Mitchell, former, you know, quarterback in college. Now he's superstar punt return and running back and he's going to go down the line. And when that guy from the outside edge presses up, he's going to flip it over to me. I'm going to turn it up and get the first down. We're going to keep the chains moving and get another offense possession. Of course, that's not the way life works. All of a sudden, Brian Dawkins has to fill in for me because I could not play that game. I think I just had the the quick scope uh, on my knee. Um, tried to go, was like, you know what, it's not gonna not gonna work. Maybe miss the next couple games, see how your, your knee holds up. And lo and behold, they call the play, and Brian Dawkins gets that. He takes it, turns up. Uh, I think it was Quentin Michael or somebody that was in front of him that threw like a key block and then he outraces the guy who tries to trip him up and he gets a touchdown. So that was one of those crazy games. Like 
I forgot what they called it, where he he, he got an interception, um, scored touchdown. on a um, uh, scored a touchdown, had a sack, and then also had like a fumble recovery. So, you know that that day almost doesn't happen for him if I play. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't even score. Maybe he's a step faster. Maybe he's a better runner. But that play was designed for me. So, but honestly, I probably celebrated the same as I would if I would have scored it myself. Oh yeah, team player, team player, Char Cook all the way there. I mean, that's great. To, the insight on how that defensive back room with all that talent, especially when you know in a league nowadays where these guys take anything as a slight, you know, athletes take anything as a slight. Like, for example, Baker Mayfield right now wants mm-hmm. out of Cleveland because they looked at other quarterback options. The the Eagles kept adding to that defensive back room where it didn't mm-hmm. matter if it was in the first round, second round, third round, they kept drafting defensive backs. But you see like Al Harris, who worked his ass off to be for a mm-hmm. great part of the Eagles secondary. You see Lito, you see Bobby, you see yourself, Tim Hawk, um, Brian Dawkins. Though it didn't seem like anybody took that as a slight. It just, you know, train the young guy who's eventually going to be my replacement, but still play up to my level that I can possibly play at. Uh, that's phenomenal. That doesn't happen Correct. in football. No. No, I think everybody wants to be fast-tracked, right? This game, uh, the money that's out there, you know, getting to the second contract, the more you can do in that first year, first couple years, you want to fast-track it, but it's a big boy league, man. I'm telling you, like – there's only a handful of guys that can come in and play right away. And you're starting to see that now is you can have all the ability in the world, but if you don't understand the game behind the game, how to play it, how to uh, perfect your technique, how to understand route combinations, how to understand down and distance tendencies, how to understand the quarterback, you know, what, what, what kind of things and tips and hints and tricks are you getting from that? It's like, careful what you ask for, because, now you 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 take a rookie guy, you throw him out there, and he's the greatest athlete you've seen since you know the last 10, 15 years, and they're continuously getting beat by great route runners or great offensive minds or quarterbacks with an arm that can fit it into any pocket. I think the good thing is we never talked about you know battling for playing time. We were just competing against each other, whether it's one-on-one drills, you know, against our receivers to seven on seven drills, to half side drills, everybody just competed. And everybody kind of threw ego out of the window. Of course, we would all compete and, you know, you want to play more. But it was like, once that game started, we're rooting on the next guy. I mean, when Dawkins was injured, um, you know, I filled in for him. The minute he comes back, um, I'm cheering for him again. But he was my biggest cheerleader when I was out there. When you come to the sideline, and guys are telling you, hey, watch this. Hey, anytime they get in this formation, you know, make sure you're calling, you know, whatever our adjustments were. Guys were in the game. And I think that's a difference is finding maybe there's something that the Eagles were looking at as far as character, the kind of guys they were bringing in. Maybe they were me, you know, not the me guys, but we. What can I do to get better? And, and maybe that's something you have to look at is what kind of – we didn't have really any guys that were like really showmen, right? It wasn't about them. Um, Al Harris knew his role. We knew his role could be greater, but in Philadelphia, he played his role. He was the nickel back. He comes in a nickel situation and he would guard the outside receiver. Bobby Taylor, Troy Vincent would move inside. I would come in as the third safety or come in as a nickel 
And then eventually Jim Johnson will put me in at uh, the wheel linebacker. Um, I think if you, if you do what you're supposed to do, they'll find a way to put you on a field. A good coordinator would. They'll find a way to get their best 11 players on a field. And I think that's what people realized, you know, coming there is maybe that guy is pretty good. But if I continue to perform and do what I'm supposed to do, Jim Johnson will find a way to put you in a game. So I, I think that's that that was the big thing is the competitive environment was unmatched. Um, but we all were rooting and cheering for each other. And still to this day, whether it's in, you know, watching, you know, our kids grow up and, you know, watching guys move up like Troy Vincent moving up in the NFL, doing what he's doing, Brian Dawkins moving in, being a, you know, motivational speaker. We're not surprised because he motivated us every day. So it's great. Everybody gets to hear his message. I had an incredible time going down these memory lane with you, sir. I hope every one of our listeners does as well. I mean, this is the glory days of the Philadelphia Eagles. This is where the architect all started for this team because they still have the philosophies of Andy Reid staples to this day. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie still implements a ton of philosophies he learned from Andy Reid. That really was the era for this Eagles football to start. Um, I hope all our listeners enjoyed going down this this trail with you, and I'm excited for the future of us uh, co-hosting this podcast going further. Oh, yeah. No, I'm excited. And speaking of Jeff Lurie as well, I think that's another another example of a guy that was all in. So we'll talk about it later. I mean, every year he invited the full team over for a barbecue at his house. I don't know what other organizations do. I don't I have no idea. I played for two organizations. That's it. All I know is that guy would open up his house. He had the pool. He had all the stuff, the barbecue, set it all out. And that's at the start of the season to make sure that he gets a chance to meet the wives, meet the kids, meet all those different people. You get to see the coaches, wives. So it's those little touches that happen during that time that, you know, you'll appreciate a whole lot. That's good to know about Jeff Lurie. I mean, he is a staple of Philadelphia, though. He's been a pivotal reason for the Eagles' success. We have one of the best owners in sports, that's for sure. But, Richard, you are now a co-host of the Eagles Unfiltered podcast. We look forward to continue our conversations with you and analyzing the Eagles and, you know, maybe getting some old teammates back on the pod and discussing your glory days with them as well. Uh, a lot of good stuff coming from Eagles Unfiltered going forward. I'm so excited to start this with you, my friend. Definitely. I, I appreciate the invite. Of course. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back soon. Richard will be on the next episode with us, and we'll be analyzing the Eagles. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.